1: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Eastern European Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. My name is Jelena Golubovic, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with anthropologist Larissa Yasharevich about her new book, Health and Wealth on the Bosnian Market, Intimate Debt. This was published by Indiana University Press last year in 2017. So Larissa, thank you for being on the show. Thanks much, Jelena, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. So this book is all about the odd ways that the body and the economy, or health and wealth, as the title goes, are interrelated in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And you write in your book that this topic wasn't quite determined in advance, but was really formed through your engagement with the field. So could you tell us a little bit about the initial stages of your fieldwork and how you came to see this relationship between health and wealth that would become the subject of your book?
0: right um so i started off being really interested in political economy um as an anthropologist right so cultural economies um consumption and circulation and in a sense it made all the sense for me to start there because bosnia after the war was really has exploded in markets in all guises um so i started off By just really looking at circulation, being interested in the in the kind of debt that I was seeing circulating, or the rather um, the ways in which economy that had very little um, form of financial instruments was circulating, and little capital, or let's say strange sources, unpredictable source of capital, how it was managing to circulate goods. so, so I started off with that, and you know, I went to marketplaces, um, flea markets, street markets, um, produce markets, um, shop boutiques, pharmacies. I mean, you just had, you, you just saw corner stores. Um, later on, supermarkets and so forth. Um, and then, little by little, uh, just started paying attention to the um, various kinds of complaints that, at first, I just thought were very random. So people would comment on the shortage of customers or on the fact that the debts were appreciating, um, that the sales were low, and would immediately switch to the language of, of um, bodily ailments. So, or, or else would just comment on, for instance, on very poor sales, but then would follow with the comment, oh, but for as long as there is health, like that health is the greatest wealth or thank goodness oftentimes the god would be wronged thank goodness that there is that there is health so there was something there was uh, anxiety basically was was one thing i started hearing um the anxiety with which um the wealth or the the lack of wealth was being dismissed in favor of appreciating um the good health um and of course, anxiety about all kinds of um gluts in the circulation of the capital and the goods and so forth. And so at first I, I heard this and I just sort of, you know, it wasn't very ethnographic of me, but I was done playing it, you know, just kind of dismissing it like, ah, oh, this is just the way that people are saying things. Um, But by and by, I just started... Um sitting in with these complaints, and I should say that I, I should actually say that this goes back to my pre-dissertation work. This goes back to um, the inquiries I was doing while I was doing my the research for my master's thesis, uh, which basically concerned the same phenomena and was concerned or was traveling, exploring the same sides of the market. So by the time I went back to the field as a PhD student. Um I think my 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 um ethnographic sensibilities have sharpened a bit, and by that time I have actually caught up on medical anthropology and on phenomenology um anthropology of the senses and so forth so it really i should say that I was rather thick when I started off you know, and that the political economy I was really interested in which is a fascinating field, especially the way anthropologists are treating it, I think. You know, what we make out of commodities and money and capital and gift and debt and so forth is is very rich. I mean, economic anthropologists are doing a very fine job and are just exploring the depths of these presumably ordinary market instruments. But, you know, paying attention to the bodily, to the sensual, sort of visceral complaints and to the anxieties that wasn't just you know, in people's heads. So it wasn't just the way that people speak about things. You know, it wasn't something that I could explain by foregrounding the common sense and the tangibility of the market instruments. Um, that's, I think, that, that is, I think, what made the whole um, work more honest and ultimately, I can hope that it made the
1: ethnography sort of richer. Yeah, there's a uh, vignette close to the beginning of your book that I think really wonderfully sets up what is to follow and how, how these fields are so interrelated. You talk about how you're speaking to a uh, woman who works at the market and she, uh, you ask her how business is going and she responds by opening her purse and pulling out a handful of medicine to show you, and she says, "This is how business is going."
0: Yeah, yeah, that was one of the key moments in in the field work. Um, and you know something? I mean, and this is a great vignette, of course. You know, something that an ethnographer would would hope for. um But I think that again, you know, I was I was so thick. <laughs> I'm actually hoping that I'm not as thick these days. But you know, I I really feel looking back at the field experience, I feel like. It just took me so long. Um, what that gesture did was to, I think, to ask me to be more brazen. Because, again, you know, it's so, so easy to look at a gesture and to say, oh, this is just the way that people speak. This is just a way, of, um, a way of describing an anxiety, which is really about something else. But, no, what she was actually saying is that the business was disturbing her bodily flows. And so that so what she was logging in and out of her books, her body was registering her blood pressure, her blood sugar. She was literally embodying the 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 the, the, the flow um through her pockets and through her accounts and through uh, through her shelves and so forth. And I think once you take that seriously then it requires or it required me basically to have a take a second look at what is body <laughs> what is the body if, if if really it can register economy if it can register the debt or the the, the capital flows and outflows, what is the body? you know what a strange materiality is that you know so that little by little i started estranging the body and taking the vernacular sense of how these domains intersect taking it very seriously to actually pursue the local etiology you know how disease comes about how is body affected how and ultimately to think through the bodily uh, materiality and, and surfaces are sort of extended out in the, in, into the world and therefore vulnerable. And being extended into the world, being extended to the world of things, again, materiality that is capacious, that is interacting. So, you know, estranging the materiality of the body, thinking it as extended into the world, having these vulnerable and highly potent and, and responsive surfaces, surfaces, Required me to actually then think and to think about think more expansively about the matter, the commodities, um, you know, instruments, uh, the debt, uh, ledgers, and so forth.
1: So the uh, as you've mentioned, Bosnia is a it's a post war state. You're mentioning new markets sort of cropping up after the war, and also it's a post socialist state, so it has this new market economy. And uh, one of the chapters in your book, I think the first one. It's, uh, it sets up sort of this struggle of surviving in this new post-socialist, post-war economy against the memories of Yugoslav socialism, where people, particularly urban people, had grown very much accustomed to living a comfortable life. So I'd love to ask you a bit about how this history of socialism, together with the history of the war, which was to come in the 90s, uh, continues to inform people's relationships about what it means to live a good life, or as you put it in the book, to live beautifully? Yeah, so...
0: The reason why I'm pausing um, in answering the question is that things are changing so rapidly, you know. Um, The economy itself is changing, as is the sense of the good life. So what I was writing about... I think was fairly true and up to date for um about a decade after the war. Um mm. and even about five years ago or so. Um and then I've noticed, I mean I am noticing, I'm I'm constantly in touch with the field. I'm I'm i um I do research every summer and then last year I spent a whole year um in the field doing a different research altogether. So, I am, you know, I keep my finger on the pulse of this place to so the extent that I can, you know, ethnographically, and, and things, the sense of the good life has changed quite a bit in the last five years. So, this is why I'm hesitating. Mm. But um, the moment that I was describing was really the moment when sort of the, 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 the war scarcity was still in a very fresh memory. And then against that, there was this, this once again, the explosion of the market that happened after 95 and then at the turn of the millennium, and even up to 2007, up to 10, 2010. There was just such an expansion of the... Um, Market opportunities—you know, opportunities to actually make money, um, to buy, to purchase beautiful things, um, to refurnish um, the apartments, um, to dress your children well, um, to sort of pick up from um, from where many people basically felt they 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 they, they, um, they got interrupted by the war and so forth—and um, and so it was an interesting moment also because the The old sense that mean I think very much the, the the socialist educated sensibility about what is quality, what is goodness, what is to be appreciated was sort of coming um up to terms with the proliferation of uh, the aesthetics and the qualities that were coming in with the with the new neoliberal kinds of values and commodities and so forth. And one way to think about this, if this is too abstract, is through clothing, uh, something that any Bosnians very much appreciate. I mean, clothing is something people get seriously invested in. And the sense of the quality that came through the socialism had to do with durability, had to do with natural fabrics, had to do with with, um, kind of styles that were going to be classic and that are going to last. Um, and so much memory was invested in, in the various pieces. I write about this, various pieces of clothing. Um, the clothing was basically also um, an index of a particular um, gener- of a particular time in, 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 in of it was a biographical, to um, so put it simply, it was a biographical kind of an index. So a, a very potent kind of a token of, of a time lived and time shared and so forth. And so that sense of what the quality is, what one ought to invest in, was sort of coming against these proliferation of rather cheap like, commodities. Everyone was commenting on the cheapness and the stars that were just ephemeral. Of course, you know, this is the classic description of neoliberal neo- neo- goods. The styles stars are um, very short-lived and, and, and uh, very fast to change and so forth. But this was one way in which people were sort of negotiating the values um, the values of the good life of, of looking well, um, and looking well also had to do not just with social standing and with the incomes, but also had to do with health. You know, you know how how well composed you are is also speaking to how how well you are. How um, how is your health? So so I, I just saw many negotiations at this point in time. It, it, on one hand, you know you can really Think about it as um, kind of a strange um, meeting of two economic sensibilities or political economic sensibilities, right? Because the 1990s did something very strange—not strange, but they were kind of an interlude, right? So that when when Bosnians uh, emerged out of the war, they were plugged into a very changed kind of a global economy right without having because being preoccupied with the war and so forth and subsistence economy and and recycling and so forth you know without having realized that, that the world has changed significantly so there was through these um consumption habits of the everyday life um what, one could really see a certain kind of um um, um historical what is it a, a sort of um um uh, yeah, historical stuttering, you know, to to sort of invoke um in kind of a sense of, of of um of a habitus getting accustomed to a changed milieu, right? A habitus sort of being raised with different expectations, being accustomed to a, a particular um circumstances and then being thrown into a different historical or political economic circumstances and then just sort of stuttering, you know so this is so so one way to um think about this is, is also another vignette I have in the book is that um I walked with one of my very very dear interlocutors into a flower shop and <laughs> among and you know flower shops were trying to stay in business, so they were selling all kinds of things because the flowers weren't things actually the most lucrative commodities uh-huh. to circulate. and so. And so there were all kinds of things in there. And then she looks at... There were stockings, among other things. Among the pots and so forth, there were stockings. And she looked at them and she gasped. They actually, they were kind of pretty pretty stockings. And then she gasped and then she said, Oh, no, I would never buy a pair of stockings if they were in, in the flower shop. You know. So, so this is the kind of a... Um, to me, it, it, it's such an interesting... Kind of a registering of a covetous commodity, like something that is beautiful and that is, you know, that that is desired. And of course, we're talking about someone who is living on the budget, right? But also someone who is who has been very used to looking well and who has been composing her wardrobe very carefully, and, and through all kinds of, you know, um, uh, ups and downs of of um, Yugoslav economy as well was negotiating you know keeping a well-composed wardrobe and so forth and all of a sudden now um it's walking into you know walking into a um a store and registering a sort of all kinds of ambivalence but also discomfort and also registering that things are sort of out of joint that but also you know this is telling because you know it it shows us what the commodity is. The commodity is far more than just, obviously, the use value. Um, but it has to do with the proper milieu, right? It has to do with the shopping experience and so forth. I'm, I'm not sure if I've... No, had, I, had, had I actually answered your question at all, I've been kind of detouring...
1: Yes, no. I I remember this this woman from the book. I remember that vignette, and also you pointing out that this the same woman had bought a pair of green leather gloves that were also located in a. I mean, they weren't in a glove store. They were in some other market space where it was a bit incongruous. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, so
0: this of course has to do with the the ways in which the, the inconsistencies, which are part of. Uh, making do you know inventing as you live your everyday life trying to make the, the best possible affair right under the strenuous circumstances and so forth, so people make all kinds of compromises and 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 these expectations um are sort of uh changed and switched and so she did it for the sake of her daughter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which makes all the difference, you know. So, for the sake of a daughter and, and making a perfect match between the boots and the, and the leather gloves, the color, the hue, perfect hue match. I mean, she disregarded the fact that it was in the supermarket, and, and as a matter of fact, she hid them at the bottom of the pile because the money wasn't really readily coming along. So, she was going to, um, uh, she was hoping to hide them um, and, until she, was, uh, she would come up with, uh, with the sum of money needed to, to buy them.
1: You you mentioned that in the past five years or so, uh, the idea of the good life has changed. How do you think it's changed in the in the past five years? That is sort of not fitting in with uh, the way you had described it in your book.
0: You know, I mean, it's it's a slightly d- difficult question because I'm I'm still still coming to terms with it. Um, I'm really trying to put it into words. I mean, one thing that has definitely changed is just the the, the the massive out-migration. I mean, you had, migra- you had Bosnians, of course, migrating um, during the war, after the war, so many refugees, and then post-war migrants and so forth, but then the economic out-migration in the last five years, I think, has been stunning. And what we have with the uh, out-migration is also repatriation of not just uh, um, the remittances, right? The, the capital, the investment and so forth, but repatriation of styles, of expectations, because you have diaspora traveling back and forth, visiting during the summer, during the holidays, investing in the land, in the houses, um, outfits and so forth, and a sort of a, a setting up certain kinds of... Um, uh, expectations as to what the good life now is and um, I'm kind of thinking it these days um, through two issues one has to do with land because I'm actually um, thinking about um, herbal medicine a lot these days and apiculture, beekeeping and gardens in general so you can definitely see that this, the, the aesthetics of keeping a garden and keeping the house um have changed much and this is very important this is not just the way that the yard is now looking that you know that now you have the perfectly mowed um lawns and that you have um park ornamental trees as opposed to the fruit trees and so forth it, it's not just that the um, the the looks of the of the, the yards and the houses are changing but also the whole relationship with what the land is and what it does and this of course has to do with health because um so much of the healthcare popular healthcare is reliant on um so called natural medicine prirodna medicine on herbal medicine and so forth so so in this sense you know that relationship with the land is actually changing on the one hand and I'm but I'm actually also thinking about so so uh, so the out migration right the um the back and forth of the um, people and ideas um, about what what kind of a life should be pursued, mm-hmm, ideally, but also relationship with land. And now I'm thinking about health. You know, I'm I'm trying to think. I think if if one thing is still constant, is the sense that the good life has to do with the well-being. And that well-being actually has to do with a certain kind of closest to nature. Uh-huh. And people often talk about the uh, return to nature or povratak prirodi. Or in any case, are talking about natural things, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a great value invested in prirodno things and natural things. So the homegrown, the homestead, um um Indigenous kinds of roots um wild uh, wild things um weeds mushrooms, and so forth so i think um you know on one hand you know i'm, I'm you see I'm, I'm struggling quite a bit to put this into words because this is a part of something i'm i'm just observing and i'm only just putting it into words, but I think that there is that there is a, a change in expectations a change in in, in, in the senses of what qualities ought to be pursued, but on the under, on the other hand, also the sense that um, ultimately the quality of life has to do with health, and that health has to do with cultivation of certain kinds of ties with the land and access to these potent natural substances. And so, what's interesting is that you have quite a few health migrants among the diaspora, a lot of people actually come back. And I write about this as well. Um, The healers that I describe in in my book, many of them are actually treating the diaspora, like the uh, Bosnians who are working on foreign markets who are actually living elsewhere but are coming for the summer. And so many of them are actually coming to see local therapists, um, alternative healers, Quranic healers, um, strava healers, um, herbalists as well, um, imams, um, many of them uh, are seeking Quranic medicine and so forth. You know, so, and, and as well as seeking these um, the natural products that supposedly can be found in Bosnia and, and are richer um, and are actually helping um, suit the ailments of the foreign lived lives right? so there's the expectation that the oscar goes out there and finds rich mar- um, labor markets and finds income opportunities which are missing in bosnia and you know their wealth amassed is is quite obvious you know it's a put on display but at the same time they're suffering it they're suffering long labor hours they're suffering all kinds of things and so you know they're repatriating their complaints and seeking the health um, or um, remedies here in yeah So in that sense, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm detouring here as, I, as I'm trying to answer the question, but I'm also just kind of thinking afresh, thinking aloud through these mm. differences, but also continuities, you know, about the good life and, and the health, which is integral part of it.
1: There is one healer that is featured in the book, uh and you call her the queen. Everybody, I guess, calls her the queen. This would be a good time to ask you to just describe for the readers who is the queen and why do people go to seek her out, and how do they seek her out? And and another interesting component, I think, is how do they attempt to repay her for healing them?
0: Yes. So the queen, um, the queen starts and ends the book, and the queen was really. Um, one of the key figures obviously that my field work evolved around and then the years after um, it took me a while to write this <laughs> book so the years after i kept um, i was part of the pilgrimage um, seeking out the, the the queen and enjoying her company um you know healers are usually um, anthropologists medical anthropologists are going to tell you are usually very enigmatic um, very puzzling um characters and and so was the queen i mean she she's still i mean she is mind boggling um there is no getting down to the bottom line of figuring out um who the queen is she's very um very influential people seek her out um from across from yugoslavia. Bosnia, um, across the whole diasporic Bosnian um, community, Um, people of all profiles, of all ethnic, um, uh, ethnic, age groups, um, all classes, um, whoever has got a health complaint, especially a stubborn health complaint, that they've been paddling around and have not found um, a cure for they end up at, at Queen's Doors. And um, she treats it with means that are, uh, on one hand, um, simple to watch. Um, she moves her hands through the air at a distance from the patient's body. Sometimes people are... Sometimes she treats them while they're sitting in the waiting room. Sometimes they lie down on the couch, examination couch, and she just dances her hands above their bodies. And Oftentimes, joking and talking something completely different, um, joking a lot, um, uh, but also switching moods very rapidly. So she could go from joking and being very cordial or sweet and tender to someone month being very harsh, and um, inquisitive, um, critical um, for various reasons. So she would, you know, so it's all along she's gliding her hands among the pay or um, above the patient's body and they're reporting all kinds of sensations in their bodies. Um, She's also treating people with her eyes only with gazes. And I write about this. I try and think through this, um, the mechanics of this, of this therapeutic reach, if you will. Um, She's also treating people on distance at a distance, um, by a Facebook at a time, or with a phone, with SMSs, and so forth. And interestingly, she is disassociating herself from all of the um, all of the medical styles, if you will, all of the established therapies, because there are um, many different alternative therapies. There is bioenergy, which is kind of similar, um, sort of the sense that people are healing or working with these vital forces on One's own, that can be um, recuperated and targeted, focused on 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 the patient's body and so forth, but she will have nothing to do with bioenergy. She uh, is very dismissive of Quranic um healers um, um and and so forth. So she's disassociating herself with all of these various categories, and she's actually conversant with biomedicine. She's reading oftentimes the anatomy. Um, atlases and books and is commenting on how comparable and how different yet how different her perceiving and knowing the patient body is. So do you want me to do you want to direct me in any
1: um is there anything particular before I just sort of um Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great point that I mean in your book you don't really privilege these alternative methods medicine approaches nor biomedicine and I found it really interesting that the queen more aligned herself with with the biomedical regime and she would sometimes refer people even to doctors to confirm her diagnoses and so is it fair to say that the the people in her waiting room the people who are seeking her out they're not leaving necessarily the biomedical field they're sort of using these these two approaches in this complementary way
0: Absolutely. I mean, people are actually using
1: uh, all sorts of approaches.
0: Very very rarely will someone just completely turn their back to the biomedical institutions and, and devote themselves to um, a healer. Um, and most healers are actually recommending that they combine. Um, so a Strava therapist, another, another type of traditional uh, therapist, will actually also direct people to... Um, to see a doctor or physician will actually send one of her patients to see a Strava therapist as well. So there is a, um, even though there is a a formal kind of a modernist sense about um, discrete categories, you know, you have the healer and the cure on one hand and you have a medical doctor or or you have a a medical doctor and then charlatan, right? As as it's opposite. On one hand, there there is that. It's a formal kind of a sense of what is real and what really works and what is effic- uh, efficacious and so forth. But in the practical um, realm, you actually you, you see practices mixing all the time across the board. So, so um, the queen actually is sending people to the doctors. Many of her patients are medical doctors, professionals, from surgeons to nurses. um, um and they would refer her she actually also claims um to have been involved in medical procedures so that she was on um, helping out the doctors um, see through a particular procedure or pointing to um to the ailment or something that they um Source of the discomfort um, that they could not detect with the, the, the diagnostic technologies. So, so there's that. But but she's also uh, being very fickle, as she is. Uh, she she's often very dismissive of them. You know of their incompetence, um, of their greed as well. There's a quite a bit of critique of the medical economy in in Bosnia um, for various reasons. Some of them are very justified. But so she she can be. Dismissive of their professional incompetence, professional ing- uh, ignor- uh, arrogance, sorry, or of the, the greed, mm-hmm. tendency to charge patients under the table. Mm-hmm. She quotes uh, for various procedures and so forth. Um, and she's also, um, so yeah, so sometimes she would be sending patients to the, 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 um, the Strava therapist. These are, these are therapists, these are usually women therapists who are treating with lead mostly anxiety related disorders and so treating people with lead water and chronic surahs. this is what I mean by Strava therapists but oftentimes she would she would basically be very suspicious of most of them so so yes on one hand absolutely this complementarity is something to um, really relish as an anthropologist um, because it's again it's it's showing the vernacular um, vernacular kind of pragmatic, um, approach to what body is and what health and ailment are, you know, and it's very experimental. It's, it's, it's much about, you know, testing out these various trials. And of course, much of this has to do with the fact that biomedicine, former biomedical medical kind of clinical practice has lost quite a bit of its authority on one hand during the war. Um, and after the war, because people have registered the sense that the bodies have changed historically, that the bodies are the material domains are also subject to um, historical change, and the bodies have altered. Um, through the war and after the war and that new kinds of ailments and new kinds of sensibilities have come about, that biomedicine is simply not competent to treat with. And so on one hand, this kind of skepticism or this kind of seeing, popular seeing that there are limits to biomedical kind of um, authority, competence and, and knowledge and expertise have allowed, have opened up the access to all kinds of um um old and new practices. So some of these Quranic healing has a very, very long tradition here, as does the Strava healing and so forth, herbalism and so forth. On the other hand, the biomedical uh competence competence has come into question because of this new kind of post-war um privatization of medical healthcare. And this is a familiar story to medical anthropologists around the post-socialist world. Um but also this this informal market, like black black market economy in the clinical services and so forth. So all of this has sort of eroded the um, kind of the much of the, the socialist pedagogies about you know the modern way of treating the body and modern definition of health and illness and so forth. So so I think this complementarity, this sense of the vernacular um, experimentalism. You know, that the putting to to trial so many claims with, you know, this is a sort of a, um, a vernacular form of um, symmetry you know, that is being recommended to us as social scientists these days. You know, treat the claims with equal kind of attention, with, with, with due seriousness, without a prior assumption as to what is valid, what is proven, what is evidence? What is the nature of evidence and so forth?
1: Mm-hmm. You discuss how people that seek out uh, the queen, they're, they're not necessarily relying on lab results to know that she's effective. There are sort of other, other clues that let them know that she will uh, provide an effect. And, and one of them is that she doesn't uh, advertise and she doesn't have a, a price per se. She's paid through gifts I'd love if you could speak a little bit about this this system. Um, I think it's related to you were saying earlier the queen's critique of the sort of the greed of of doctors mm-hmm. uh, in accepting bribes and uh, accepting payment for the services that they're providing, whereas she's paid, but in this more indirect way. Yeah, this
0: is a, this is a really good question, and in. It, brings us back to the beginning sort of the, um, the 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 ways I sort of found out gradually these very vital um very tangible um, similarities uh, connections between the health and wealth the medicine and the market right uh, the body and the and the financial instruments because there is a sense in um, uh, there's a sense that the good healer is known by the fact that they don't charge any money, right? And so this is sort of a, this is a traditional wisdom, and much of this again has to do um, with Islamic um, healing traditions, um, both the Quranic um, um, sort of uh, healing through the inscriptions and recitations of Quran but also the strava, you know, the more the folk and and more sort of the um, kinds of therapeutic practices that have been traditionally practiced by women in particular, but also reliant on on Islamic tradition. There is a common sense here that uh, it is improper to ask for money and that the the genuine uh, healing is actually the gift and can only be practiced as such. As such, and this kind of common sense actually expanded into the uh, moral economy of the uh, clinical centers as well. So there would be a sense that the uh, real doctor would actually not ask for any price, for any additional um, fee, would not ask for um, money, but would necessarily be gifted. Right. So in the even in the socialism, um, um, there there, there was a, a, a sort of a need to gift a doctor who has done you um, um, a favor, who has treated you well. Um, so so there's a sense in which, and, and oftentimes the, the healers themselves are, who are seeing patients, particularly Strava healers, are going to urge the patients who are ailing um, and ex- exhibiting various kinds of um, symptoms and complaints, are going to ask them to exercise generosity. So this is a part of the uh, um, curing repertoire. I mean, you take the inscriptions, you take herbal um, teas and well, but you also practice generosity. And this is a part of the advice, the health advice uh, prescription that the traditional healer gives you. Um, so the gift is there for various reasons, having to do um, with all of these things I said, but but. Uh, to start off with a sense that, you know, healing touch is a gift. Um, um, all of that is is, um, is, is qualifying um, um, or it's just basically describing the requirements for a good healer that are helping people um, seek the cure. And people are embarking on these very complicated um, um, intersecting trajectories as they're trying to find um, a cure a treatment um, and, and so you know looking for a person who does not advertise and therefore is not just modest but is so efficacious that the, that the, that the word spreads right so that other people are recommending him or her to, um, to the patients new patients so that recruitment is actually you know by the word of the mouth and the word of the mouth is you know think of it is a trial I mean, this is this is the evidence. I I recommend the healer because he has helped me in, in in such and such a way, or he has helped me, has helped the neighbor or the son of the neighbor and so forth. You know, so there are all of these genealogies of the past effort and the complaints and how they were resolved. So 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 this is the this is part of and this is one way in which um, Queen is doing her best to um, distinguish herself from other healers. And just like the market is proliferating in goods and services, so is the health market proliferating after the war. If I hadn't made this clear, I should have had. right. So in this complicated market, with all kinds of claims, and many of them inflated, and many of them such that have been disappointed, right, or that people have been disappointed in. In this market, um, the queen and others are setting themselves apart by sa- by stepping outside of the profit-making economy or even income-making economy and relying, falling back on the gift. And the queen does that in such interesting... Have you got the time? Should I say a little more about this? I don't know how we're doing no, the time. No, I thought that, yeah. too much. No, does, yeah. So... Um, with with queen, it becomes, every healer, it's kind of complicated, but with, with, with the queen in particular, because she, as a person, as a healer, she just wields this tremendous amount of power, right? And because she's fickle, she's changing, and people would actually, like her, like them, like there is a sort of a vying for attention, which is therapeutic, but also just sort of cherished. You know, the queen likes you, and that is something that it's not easy to achieve. So, because she's wielding so much power, people are overwhelmed, and this is therapeutically um, desirable and But at the same time, you know, it's it's kind of crushing. It's kind of uh, again overwhelming. And then they register her indifference to money. So what can they do? How do you repay someone who is um, who is really turning your life about? You have a serious problem, is seriously unwell, or someone you love dearly is unwell, and no one else has been able to help them. And so here is this queen, and you're seeing the progress, and yet you don't know how she's treating you. One day she's going to scream at you and complain and, and, and critique your style of dress or your hairstyle or something like that, or your 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 everyday habits, finding them faulty, finding them um, very much related to what um, ails you and so forth. Another time, she's very tender and soft and, and, and so forth. So how do you... And, and you cannot repay her, right? So people are... So it becomes very, of course, every gift ends up being also a debt. It creates a debt and and is is possibly poison, right? Because it's cumbersome. It weighs down on the receiver. Especially, you know, if the sense of the generosity and reciprocity is sort of deeply embodied. It's only proper to give back. And if you don't give back, it's it's sort of um it hurts. Um you're anxious about it. So this was a sort of a game that I was watching and the Queen's play. Sort of the um Kind of the the inability um, for people to pay her back because she has done so much for them, and because she cares not for money. And you know, however much they give, it's going to be too little, and it's not going to register. And then also, if they give too much, um, oftentimes she's going to refuse the money. There is not even guarantee that that that, that your money is going to be received. Um so so. You know, ends up being on one hand, for me it was a, a great commentary, the gift economy at her at her clinic and the gift economy at other clinics, other places was just really a great um was a great insight into the political economy proper right? the other marketplaces. Um is, is this am I answering your question at all?
1: Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, I think the gift economy was really interesting element and in the, the point you make about how people are actually creating this wealth through debt, through being indebted, and then they feel a compulsion to to give and to give well, to repay, and it's for them creating this positive effect in their life. Mm-hmm. 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 Um. I do have, if we have time, one final question for you, um, because listeners that are familiar with the literature on Bosnia will have realized by now that your book is very different from the vast majority of research on Bosnia and on the former Yugoslavia more generally, in that it's not concerned primarily with ethnic division and identity politics and reconciliation. Um, But there is this very interesting political element to your work that comes through in your concept of circumstantial communities, uh, sort of the communities that... Mm -hmm. That get formed uh, through many of the examples you listed at the queen's uh waiting room and other uh health initiatives and I'd love if you could sort of elaborate on the the that concept for us.
0: yes, thank you, thanks so much for bringing it up um because uh, i haven't really mentioned it up to now um but but the, the sense of the political um was kind of a um or the idea of the political was, was something that I was um, careful to craft through the book. And I thought it was important and and even perhaps necessary because it would have been impossible for me to write a book that was entirely about economy and medicine and just completely silent on, on the question of the form of politics and so forth. So in a sense, I had to... Um, I had to pay some respect um to the otherwise very present um, um issue you know the ethnopolitical kind of a um um framework within which people are pursuing the health or 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 um market opportunities and so one way for me to do it was um again not stepping outside of the the market or the clinical settings, and to appreciate the, the real efficacy, um, the kind of mattering that emerges from the sides of the market and from the sides of the healing and curing and so forth. And what I was trying to basically say is that these things, um, these issues um, that are very much on people's minds in everyday life are actually um, important in their own right, You know, they're not sort of, um, they're not secondary, you know, because oftentimes um, the tendency of scholarship on Bosnia, for very good reasons, is to favor and to foreground the ethno-political situation for obvious reasons. And then everything else gets to be relegated to the background. And even if there is a pursuit of everyday things, still because of the ethno-national political issues. Um, are foregrounded. Everything in everyday life ends up speaking ultimately to the ethnopolitical situation. And so and and, and I wanted to step away with that from that because this is not what I was seeing. Mm, By foregrounding the questions that I thought were the dearest to people I worked with, you know, the health and health was was actually making me appreciate that the these issues are primary concerns, and they're mobilizing people's interest and times. So people are investing in them, and through these practices, medical and market, they were generating, exercising all kinds of real efficacious influences and powers, and and, and these issues actually were so vitally important that they were gathering people around them. You know? Um, gathering around the in the market, around the complaints, in the clinics, um, but also around these sites of extreme suffering, of um, a tragic accident, um the news about um a car crash, um a, a car accident, a suicide, um obituaries that are posted around the town that oftentimes accounts and oftentimes occasion these group readings and commenting. Um so all of these, I thought, were actually um, creating or exercising, bringing out, bringing about the um, the experiential kinds of communities, the communities of shared experiences. You know, and I, 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 I was thinking through this as a kind of um, the political gathering right? and the political potential, which is very different than the polit- politics kind of – um reduced to the voting and uh, seat-holding and power-sharing and so forth. But rather the, the political, that has to do with the good life. but it has to do with the potential for these circumstantial com- communities to come about around the shared concern and do something about it, right? share the complaints, share the, the feeling. Um, and through that exercise, on one hand, empathy, um but the on the other hand i mean you can think of it in, in in so many different ways um compose or exhibit you know that kind of a um, what is it a, a community and vitality that can be mobilized at a time but cannot be recruited for any kind of a formal again a national kind of narrow minded or um narrow focus kind of uh um goal and and I think this is of course I was thinking these experiential political um communities and and the sense of the political here I was thinking through with um Jean um someone I've been thinking with throughout the book um and 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 I think this is rather important um and not least to the you know proper political anthropologists of Bosnia. Who, you know, have been observing the last several years these sparks of political effervescence, or of of collective kind of gathering and dispersing that are very brief and short lived, and oftentimes not very well recruited for any long term kinds of uh, solutions and so forth, but that that are there in potential, um. And are actualized in these in these in these particular places, right? You know, they are grounded in everyday sites and everyday concerns. So this is something I was I was trying, to, I, and this again has to do with something I said earlier, um, when you mentioned that um, scene when um, the trader opened up her purse and t- took out the medicine, you know, when I asked her how's how's the market going, how's how it says, taking the experience seriously. I was commenting at that point you know, that you know taking that experience that she was describing seriously made me think through the bodily materiality and and the and, and materiality of the you know commodities and, and capital and so forth. Um, but likewise, you know, taking the, the the collective experience seriously, the collective experience of the market or of the medicine. The collective experience of reading um, obituaries together, you know, and exercising this collective, very strong empathy that again disturbs people, you know, disturbs people quite seriously. So that some of them take tranquilizers after that or um, dread about um, the possibility of the premature death and so forth. So just taking that experience very seriously and not just dismissing and saying, oh, you know, this is just gone. Um, it's just—it's fleeting. It—it it, it doesn't co- concretize into anything particular. It, it basically doesn't matter. But no, taking this seriously is something that I think is, is, has a great deal of has a great um, deal of potential for for us thinking more expansively about politics in general and politics in, in, in Bosnia in particular. You know, just so that just so that we get out of the rut of the national Everything at the national politics, you know, full stop bottom line.
1: Um, does that answer your question? I hope. Yeah, that's great. That's such a such a refreshing contribution. So thank you for that, and thank you for putting aside the time to to come on the show today.
0: Not at all, Yelena. Thank you so much for inviting me and for reading my book. Um, I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was uh, Larisa Yasharovich talking to us about her book, Health and Wealth on the Bosnian Market, Intimate Debt.